0: screen, we are the Geek Show podcast dedicated to the good, the bad and the inexplicable of movies either about, starring or by pop stars. You know, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to hip-hop, from science fiction to documentaries. I'm Graeme Williamson, I'm film critic for thegeekshow.co.uk and horrified.com, and I also write inlay booklets for second-run DVD. This week, I have been joined by...
1: Mick, who can occasionally be found lurking on our uh, comic book adaptations podcast, Behold. Um, Very good it is too. But other than that, just generally sort of lurking in the midst of pop culture and absorbing it all so that when called upon, I can
0: disgorge
1: (laughs) my understanding and knowledge and appreciation of it.
0: A big factual vomit.
1: Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, normally
0: pop screen allows a year or, or so, at least, for the film to marinate before we can do a proper reassessment of it. But for this week, we are reviewing... The world's a little blurry, a documentary about Billie Eilish by RJ Cutler, which it would be fair to say is the most cutting of the cutting edge films we have featured so far. The loudest bang of the bang up to date, the most aggressive honk of the modernity goose. I've liked all these myself, listeners. I don't know
1: if you appreciate this. He doesn't. He doesn't. Someone bought him a book of nursery rhymes, and one of them is called The Honk of the Modernity Goose. <laughs> it's an up-to-date nursery rhyme book, I'll grant you. It's a little avant-garde, but...
0: So, in, in that spirit of experimentation, Mick, in the spirit of keeping things you know, right bang on the moment rather than an introduction, I'm going to ask you a question. OK. Billie Eilish, or to give her full name, Billie <laughs> Eilish Pirate <laughs> Baird O'Connell... Was born in December 2001. How much does that make you want to die?
1: (laughs) Well, not as much as when I offered to step in on this uh, episode, the shocked reaction from you. I mean, (laughs)
0: listeners. In case you haven't been, well, we've done a number of podcasts with Mick. Some of them were still holding in reserve, but the most recent one <laughs> you were on was Absolute Beginners, and we had a very long and fruitful chat about style council. So, you know, I'm not stereotyping you, but you weren't the first person I expected to pounce on it. Well, you know, I like to keep people guessing. So I suppose the the more pertinent question then would be uh, how and when did you first find out about Billie Eilish?
1: Well, the first the first time I was uh, made aware of her existence was um, when the announcement came that she was going to be doing a bomb theme. Ah, because normally, and I think I think this is one of those signs of aging, right? Mm. You run and walk and cycle a little slower. You start migrating over to specialist glasses for reading and
0: yeah, VDU
1: yeah. work, uh, and you start going ooh when they announce who's doing the Bond thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the policemen get younger every day,
1: <laughs> and uh, so so consequently. Um I was borderline with Skyfall mm. because which was Adele. Which yeah. was Adele. And she wasn't really on my radar. I I'd, I'd kind of heard of her, but she it's not my bag. She's mm. don't get me wrong, she's got a cracking voice. Just not my kind of it's not my particular brew.
0: I, I would agree with that assessment, yes.
1: So I knew who she was. Uh I think Spectre was was Sam, Sam Smith, Smith? Yes, owner yeah. of
0: the uh, annoying chain of pubs. Yes, that yes. joke will mean very little to those outside the UK, but it was worth it.
1: It will, yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 and again, I was aware of his work, um, although I believe it's now their work.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, that's true.
1: Um, but was much was much more uh, a fan of their best bitter. Um, <laughs> yes. But, um, so yeah, but when, when, they, when, when they were doing the rounds and of course, you know, as we speak, No Time to Die was due to have been released about 15 years ago. <laughs>
0: yes. It was Where, scheduled for the 10th
1: anniversary of the franchise. <laughs> so, so at that point, yeah, I, I had no idea who she was. it, it it wasn't music that was getting played in the kind of sort of occasional sort of in-passing type places that I was in. So, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I listened to the No Time To Die track. I thought, well, that's a bit non-Adele. Yes, certainly, yeah. Uh, it's not even Adele Jason, it, it's, it's not yeah. even very Sam Smith. What it reminds me most of is garbage and not in a bad way.
0: Yeah, we, we should. <laughs> we should point out, listeners. Uh, he is referring to the uh, Scottish American alternative rock band. Who, actually, now that you've mentioned it, uh, No Time to Die is a better garbage Bond theme than the Bond theme that garbage, that garbage did. did. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And and, and I sort
1: of, i I've, I've I've got a few. As you know, I'm. Marginally athletic.
0: Yeah, and, more than uh, marginally. Don't do yourself down.
1: And uh, I, I, it was on playlists for running. Uh, things like yeah. Bad Guy were on there, and um, so you know, I've I've dipped my toes in the world of uh, Billie Eilish more so as a result of stepping in to do this, and I find it. Um, I find a an interesting artist. She's one of those artists that. Um, I'm not entirely sure I could sit and do the album from start to finish, mm. but I certainly aren't going to die for the radio to switch it off when one of her tracks comes on.
0: Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. She's uh, she's not PJ and Duncan, that's for sure. Oh, post 2010 Monacy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's been a bit of a slight, hasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can do an album, and I have done an album. And one of the things that I do really like about the album, uh, when we all falsely, where do we go, is that it is a proper album. It doesn't feel like a Spotify playlist that someone's just crammed onto a record. It actually has yeah. some sort of flow and structure like an album should.
1: Well, um, I, I, I think I think that was evident. I don't know. We'll we'll do this in detail. I was I was fascinated by the the whole production process.
0: Oh yeah, because that is one thing that is very different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's her and her brother Phineas O'Connell uh, who, and they run out of
1: names by the time they got to him.
0: I haven't checked Phineas's middle names. He could he could have a <laughs> pivot slipped in there, as as they said to me when I was working the docks, um, but. <laughs>
1: That explains all the cream. (laughs) But yeah,
0: it's basically them in their bedroom, isn't it? Which back when I was starting to get into music, was the sign of a very credible, underground, marginal artist who only releases things on self-produced cassettes and certainly does not get picked out to do the Bond theme unless Daniel Johnson has something, you know, that we really don't know about in his back catalogue.
1: This is it. I mean, let's get one. I think we need to look at the fact that for an artist who's been active for, what, three, four years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? We've got a two-hour, two-plus-hour documentary.
0: Two hours, 20 minutes. Yeah, when I saw The Running Time, my first thought was Billy Alexander (laughs) (laughs) You,
1: I I don't know. What's the runtime on something like Bohemian Rhapsody or... uh, Rocket Man.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's about sort of two hours, two hours ten. Yeah.
1: I mean by the by the by the time Billie Eilish is celebrating her 40th birthday, the biopic that gets released will be an <laughs> HBO series. <laughs> it it'll, it'll be their longest running show since Game of Thrones. <laughs>
0: and yet the thing is, did this not
1: fly past pretty quickly? It did. But I think that's almost its problem. Mm. You mentioned you mentioned in the um, intro that we, we talked about the Style Council.
0: Yeah.
1: And, of course, in the summer, um, there was a documentary, uh, Long Hot Summers, about the Style Council and their formation. It was only about, once you cut out the adverts, I think it was only about an hour long.
0: God, once you cut out the adverts of a show on Sky Arts, is there even a show
1: left? But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it wasn't aimed at me because I was a, a big Weller and Style Council fan. Hmm. I learned very little new information from it. Yeah. But to the general viewer, I'm sure they learnt a lot more about the Style Council than they knew before. Yeah. I probably don't know two hours worth of information about Billy Eilish now that I've watched yeah. this documentary.
0: <laughs> I see what you mean yeah I mean obviously in terms of how you talk about information with something like a, a Style Council documentary or a, a, a documentary on any band who've yeah. been around for that long you talk about information in terms of Album releases, singles, tours, changes of lineup—you know that sort of thing. Yeah. Obviously, this has not happened to Billy Eilish yet.
1: Yeah, but also there's also the thing that um, you know. I mean, that obviously touring is a large part of it. Mm. Um, we get quite a lot of concert footage. Um, most of it ending in some kind of disaster. Uh, oh, to... God,
0: yeah. I mean, when you see what a perfectionist she is, you think, yeah. will she be able to watch this film? Because it's just like two hours and 20 minutes of her injuring herself and forgetting the lyrics and just <laughs> having awful times on stage. I
1: know. I mean, that that side of it is quite endearing. Mm. The fact that, uh, you know, there's one, is it Coachella? where she goes on stage and, yeah. and fractures her ankle before the intro's finished.
0: Oh, no, that's the Milan one. The Coachella Milan, one's yeah. the one where she starts singing all the good girls go to hell and forgets what the second verse is.
1: Yes. No, so so the Milan one where she sort of fractures her ankle yeah. before the intro finishes and she goes to limp off stage. And when she comes back on, she says, "I'm sorry, guys. I, I just don't want to do a crap show for you." Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Like, Stuff the leg. I just don't want to do a crap. So, so those bits are quite indeed. But what I, I still don't. I know that she listened to Bieber when she was younger.
0: Mm. But I Again, don't. How much does that make you want to die? By the way. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, but I don't know what her influences are, Museu musically they're clearly not bieber because he never produced anything like this
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, ha- halfway through the film we do sort of hear the production of uh the bad guy remix with justin bieber on it which it would be fair to say she is more excited about than the world was when yes. it was released um yeah. In fact, the the main chart effect of that coming out was that the original version of Bad Guy suddenly started going back up the charts. So (laughs) it's really a song that makes you think, oh God, the original version of this was so good. Um, But yeah, you're right. It doesn't have that. And, you know, I I wonder to what extent would that be there? Because I remember she got flack a bit back for not knowing who Van Halen were. And you know, firstly, I wish I lived in a state of pre lapsarian innocence where I didn't know who Van Halen were. <laughs> I would say, listeners, if you don't know who Van Halen are, extend that period of grace for as long as possible, uh, because they absolutely suck. But
1: I have a whole, whole cache of friends who would beat you senseless. <laughs> With a, with a David Lee Roth standee, uh, just for uttering
0: that. Yeah, and that's the thing about a David Lee Roth standee, isn't it? It's uh, not as tough as a Lemmy standee. <laughs> but yeah, it, I don't know whether this is part of her her kind of world, her image as someone who was homeschooled and who is quite sort of insular and makes all her songs in her bedroom with her Mm. brother there seems to be this process where she listens to the same sort of obama eva radio pop as every kid in america her age yeah somehow has synthesized it into this
1: yes and the, the other thing that struck me in this documentary was that when I first heard things like Bad Guy, and Mm. and indeed The No Time To Die, um, I thought, well, this sounds incredibly overproduced. Mm. Because the voice is just so otherworldly, and she's like a grunge Mariah Carey. uh, Carey. (laughs) If if you can imagine such a thing. Vocally. She, she does all the warbles and the, the effects and she doesn't need production to do them. Mm, she does yeah. them live on stage as well. Um, but it's a rawer, less sort of show-busy voice than...
0: Yeah, her style of vocals is... And I suppose this is one reason why she feels so current because probably recording technology has only just got to the point where you can do this you know, in front of a massive Mm. screaming festival crowd, but her voice is quite sort of whispery and intimate. It reminds me of an anecdote about The XX, the band The XX, where they said the reason why their sound is so minimal is because they used to rehearse at the house of one member who lived with their parents, and they just didn't want to make a racket, but (laughs) somehow that turned into a whole aesthetic, you know? (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's there's several points in in the world's a little blurry where you think, no, go back. I want to know more about that because mm. you you go for quite a while and then suddenly she went, oh yeah, that's my Tourette. Like, yeah, yeah. What what what? <laughs> Hold on now.
0: <laughs> yeah, although part of the structuring there is interesting because this is one of the least kind of authored i guess you would say documentaries i've seen in a long time it reminds me a lot of those like very early docu soaps in the 60s and 70s like the family which when they were out everyone said oh this is an astonishing invasion of privacy it's you know absolutely vulgar and you watch it today and it's just like it's just a family having like standard time together there is something of that kind of unaffected fly on the wall quality in this. I think
1: there is, and I think I think I think the seed for it is some early home footage from when the Ocean Eyes uh, track was sent into the radio station and got the airplay. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of difficult to spot the transition between that home video footage of them celebrating the success of Ocean Eyes. Mm -mm. into what is the Apple TV Plus documentary piece. I think there's just more people in the room Yeah. at one point. You start recognising people who must be part of the crew. Um, Yeah. But the weird thing is that family dynamic seems at once both ultimately supportive and insufferably stifling. Mm, the, yeah. the, the mother particularly.
0: The the mother cum massives, yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes. Hey, it's always handy to have that kind of person
0: oh, in yeah. the family,
1: you know, on standby, 24-7, without having to uh pay them over the time or indeed union rates. <laughs> I mean, for me, you could probably have towards the end of the documentary, the concert footage was feeling a little, a little bit samey. Yeah. Because all those bits that we've mentioned about her perfectionism, uh, about her relationship with the fans, mm. um, about the frailty that she, um, yeah, sort of gives. Gives away on stage occasionally. Um, by the time you've done the third or fourth bit of concert play, you you kind of encapsulated all that, and it it's yeah. kind of time to move on, and maybe have a look in depth. You know, how does someone who, I mean, clearly it's not a it's not a a, a particularly acute version of Tourette's that she's got, mm. but you've got to wonder how someone with Tourette's overcomes performance anxieties and things like that in order to be able to give that performance. What drives her to not give up after the setback she got when she was dancing and the, the yeah. self-doubt she's got about songwriting and stuff? And I just I just feel that in, in two hours 20, you should have got deeper into that.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. Um... Personally, I liked the amount of concert footage. I thought, I remember when I watched Miss Americana, the Netflix film about Taylor Swift, that... I mean, that does go a lot deeper and probably does address some of the issues that you'd have been interested in here. But I, I left thinking, ultimately, this film's supposed to be for Taylor Swift fans, but we only hear about sort of two songs at a decent length on stage. Yeah. So I was pleased that this basically ticked off every Billy Eilish song that I would have liked to have heard, particularly since... I'm probably not going to go to one of the concerts because, you know, being a 37-year-old man would make me feel deeply out of place there. Oh,
1: sorry, remember me. Um, why, why would that be a problem?
0: Because I'm old, Mick.
1: Ah. You're not a bairn. <laughs> the only person
0: who has managed this is there is footage online which I was half expecting to turn up in the film of Tom York dancing at a Billie Eilish concert and you think there he is that's the one divorced dad in the world who was allowed to go to a Billy Eilish concert
1: and you, you mentioned at the top of the show about Billy Eilish being born in 2001, how does that make you feel? Yeah. My one excuse to go to a Billie Eilish concert would be to take my grandchildren. Yes. And by the time they're old enough to be going to concerts, she'll probably be doing a Greatest Hits retrospective.
0: <laughs> yeah, she'll be doing the sound and vision too work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the 20s revisited. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Remember the pandemic? Woo!
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing that struck me Mm. was the boyfriend that she's got, Hugh, he's a dick in exactly the opposite way to how you'd expect the boyfriend of a teenage pop sensation to be. (laughs)
0: Could we appreciate for a start the fact that he's called Q, which makes me wonder if he spends like his, his off time posting on message boards claiming to be a high-level member of the Trump administration. That's a niche <laughs> joke, again, I know, but it's I'm sticking to it.
1: I just, I mean, bearing in mind what we've said about the generational gap between us as reviewers and the, the subject matter of the documentary – was he named in memory of a much-missed, high-profile, high glossy music magazine? <laughs> yes!
0: Perhaps, yeah, or perhaps his parents were big fans of Star Trek The Next Generation.
1: <laughs> named after John DeLancey. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, yeah he's, a, he's an absolute dick in a completely the opposite way you'd expect.
0: What were you yeah. expecting
1: would you well, say I would have thought that the the boyfriend of a teenage pop sensation like that would be the shameless hanger-on you know, yeah yeah she'd be the one sort of being exposed to the world and all sorts of new experiences and stuff like that and be moving on far faster than he was mm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and'd be going well oh, you know you know obviously she's earning millions, so there's there's that parasitic element as well that you'd expect yeah to a degree uh, but <clears throat> no he, he was he was so far out the other side of not fussed it was untrue that's true
0: yeah isn't it ghosting a teenage millionaire is that's a new one on me yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah that was interesting i said the other thing is I spent quite a bit of the run time trying to work out what sort of environment she needs around her. And I, for some reason, I expected her to be very comfortable being alone and in her own company. Yeah. Because I, I suppose that's the kind of image we have of these kind of bedroom pop authors. Yeah. And it has been since Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not quite it is it she actually needs people particularly family and close friends and her boyfriend around her as much as possible yeah. and venturing outside of that and doing things on her own seems quite intimidating which i can understand when yeah. the entire world wants to mob
1: you yeah and i, and I think it is uh I think that's probably where the documentary at times felt like it's most intrusive.
0: Mm. Uh
1: the, there's the there's the scene where she's going, you know, I'm gonna get out of there, there's gonna be all these people there, they're all gonna be wanting a photo. And mm. and if I say no, I look like a bitch.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I'm,
1: I'm actually worrying about that. Whereas a lot of um the sort of established stars that we know Mm-mm. when <laughs> when they were that age and having that level of success, they didn't give a (laughs) flying about being a bitch.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know. Which I suppose is part of the technology aspect, because, you know... I don't know if John Lennon ever told a fan to fuck off when he was, like, 20 years old because no-one had a smartphone around to capture that moment.
1: (laughs) That was was another piece, that that bit where they were trying to second-guess material.
0: Oh, for the album? Yeah. Yeah.
1: What what if I write a song about drugs being bad and how I'll never want to do them? And then in 20 years' time, it turns out I've done drugs and it's changed me. Well, don't do that then. Well... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? We don't release this song because I might do that. Or...
0: The greatest thing about that scene is that her mother is giving her a shoulder massage, and she gets very angry about the suggestion that the song should not be released. Yeah. And her ex <laughs> Billy's expressions in this scene are absolutely magnificent.
1: Yeah. And uh, but. As you say, the the two hours 20 flies by, Mm. um, it is an engaging watch. And I I think I've probably got a a much better appreciation for the music. I'm still not entirely convinced I could do the album from, just to show my age, side A track one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (coughs) Although it's probably available on vinyl. Uh, In a gatefold special edition at about 450 quid.
0: (laughs) Everything old is new again.
1: Yeah. Um, But I think that what I took away from it was how, despite all this sudden exposure and fame and fortune and stuff, she's actually stayed quite grounded and real. And at the end of the documentary, she sums it up quite nicely. She (laughs) sort of goes, I've got my dream car. Family around me. I'm kind of (laughs) pretty. Yes! (laughs) And she she actually qualifies it. I'm pretty. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. And that's it. I've got everything I want now. You know, Mm. there's no... She mentions that they're still in the same backyard, and she points it out as being a good thing, that they're still in the same backyard and same house and everything, even though they've got millionaires.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Not
1: that they've got millionaires, but they are millionaires.
0: But they probably keep a few as well, you never know. Not just in case, you know. Yeah, how the rich
1: live, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be a millionaire today, you go out and be a millionaire for me. (laughs)
0: yeah I think that's true and I think one of the things that shone through for me is that and I suppose this might sail over other people's heads but that there's a point where she is she's just given a concert and she is very stressed out and she has a lot of places to go after this and they send her backstage to hobnob with a bunch of like record company and magazine and pr mm. people who she has never met before yeah. and she is absolutely adamant that this is the last thing she she wants to do and it's very easy to listen to that and think duh, teenager's whinging on but yeah. i'm thinking to how I was at t- 16 I was thinking if I was in that situation and there was that much money on the line, I would be unable to even vocalise that I did not want to do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's where it's where the documentary does her a great service because mm. in that scene, um, she could have quite easily come across as the spoiled little rich girl. Yeah. I don't want to do this. I'm tired. I'm stressed. Blah 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 blah. But because of all the all the other bits we've seen, it's actually no. This enough already. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she she doesn't shy away from the work. She doesn't shy away from the background stuff. Mm. All right. She she's a bit iffy about the the actual song the songwriting. Writing. Writing. Yeah. But you know she. She's there she meeting it. the fans. Yeah. She's yeah. there meeting the fans for the show. She's there rehearsing the song. She's there rehearsing the concerts. So yeah, you can understand that. Just sometimes so <laughs> she you... just wants to have a, a bit of a lie down and a nice cuppa. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I... Listen to a Justin Bieber record whilst watching Will Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> This
0: is, listeners, the best film Orlando Bloom has been in for about 15 years. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite weird, that sort of... that, that catalogue of people who want to meet her and how many of them are people who she looked up to in her childhood. Yeah. Which is... I don't know, that, that felt quite strange. I suppose partly because of how young she is, and you think you're still half in that teenage crush phase as you actually meet these people.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's a difficult one to sort of get your head around. The, the closest I've ever been to being in a situation like that yeah. was DJing in a, a club in West London, mm. which was um, part of the BBC but it wasn't regularly frequented by many of the sort of DJs and stuff. But because it was a leaving do for one of the production staff, all of Radio 2 descended on this one particular Friday. So I've got people like Johnny Walker coming up to me, asking me to play records for them. (laughs) And that's it. How does this work? Yeah. <laughs> How did I end up in this place? Well, it's and strange, guess...
0: isn't it, when you do something for people who do that for a living. I've yeah. read, like, a lot of people say, I was that they were, a lot of directors say that they were really intimidated to direct someone like Robert Redford or Clint yeah. Eastwood, not just because they're icons, but because they direct as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They do the job that you do. Yeah. Um, and it's. <sighs> That there is an element, certainly for me, there was an element of sweaty palms, you know, that there were people I'd seen hosting Saturday morning TV, there were people that had seen hosting Cracker Jack in there and, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's, they're asking me to do their job for them. They're going to be judgy.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah. I mean, I didn't do what Billy did with uh Justin Bieber and hang on to them for minutes. Yeah,
0: Sorry. I mean, <laughs> th- these are 1970s radio DJs. Yeah. It would have been ill-advised. <laughs> if anything, it's going to go the other way around.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, Although it should be pointed out that, uh, as far as I know, um, there were no allegations against Ed Stupot Stewart or Johnny Walker.
0: Johnny Walker's a good guy, yes. Johnny Walker uh, f- heard a sketch on Chris Morris's 1990s Radio wrote 1 show where they found him and Chris and Peter Bain and found Johnny Walker's corpse stuffed down the back of one of the Radio 1 sofas. And uh, <laughs> he-, he met Chris in the parking lot and laughed and said, you killed me last week, didn't you?
1: <laughs> so, yeah, top bloke. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I do like I do like the kind of level of intimacy this documentary manages to maintain without feeling voyeuristic.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. It really should have felt voyeuristic at some point. And I remember yeah. when I started reading about what's in it, I thought, do, do I want to find out about a teenage girl's dating life just because I like her music? But it does not feel like that no. at
1: all. Well, mainly because dating life, consequently, well, is yes, not the dating. Fuck <laughs> him isn't there, is he? But <laughs> other than <laughs> that. yeah. Where are you? Well, can you be here? Yes. Why not?
0: (laughs) And in a weird way, I never sort of felt protective of her because she is surrounded by such a good support structure and she is so good Mm. at vocalising the problems she's having while she's having them.
1: Yeah. There's almost an inspiration for a little narrative film there. Mm. You You know, like, Seven... That whole mystery with what's in the box. Yeah. Billy's relationship with Q. (laughs) Yes. You don't actually find out about the boyfriend till the end.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You, if this was a fictional film, you would be expecting some kind of Sixth Sense style yeah. twist, wouldn't you? It turned yeah. out you would be a ghost all along. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, he's just a really crap boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I see.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it was an enjoyable documentary. I, I shall probably um, make more of an effort to, uh, to listen to the music. Uh, if only to fill the gap between now and uh, 2026, when No Time to Die <laughs> finally gets. Actually, to be fair, because didn't they? Didn't they say something about having reshoots because the technology had moved on?
0: That's it. Yeah, yeah. So you know,
1: perhaps by the time it actually gets released, she will have been dropped, and they'll have—I don't know—given the soundtrack duties to some fetus. <laughs>
0: The technology thing was so extraordinary because you think this is the downside of doing a sort of grounded, down-to-earth take on bonds. Like, Roger Moore never had to worry if people were going to mass-produce cars that turn into submarines. No. That wasn't going to happen.
1: I mean, to be fair, they never mass-produced lotuses in the first place, so, you
0: know. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. I know nothing about cars. (laughs) That was the most alienating part of this film to me. I can easily relate to somebody who's like a millionaire at 16, but I cannot for the life of me relate to people who were interested in cars.
1: (laughs) And yet of the two of us, you're the driver. That's true, yeah. It's just (laughs) like, it's
0: a box that gets you around town.
1: I've immediately been brought to mind that time you got a flat tyre. That, to be fair,
0: that was very early in my driving career. I and it was the first accident I'd ever had. And you and you were
1: surrounded by two people. Yeah. One of whom didn't drive. Yes. And one who was a driver but was familiar with all the technologies.
0: <laughs> all the technologies, like spare the, the tires, wheel.
1: like spare tires. <laughs> <laughs> hidden, hidden in recesses in the back. And when we went to look for your spare tire, we found a machine that pumped gunk in.
0: <laughs> Got me on, <yawn>, though. <laughs> it did. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of model of celebrity, Um hmm. where on the one hand, there's no gatekeepers. You can just upload a song like Ocean Eyes to your social media account and you know, if it takes off, it takes off. It strikes me that Billie Eilish is the best case scenario for this, that you've got someone who is social media savvy, who is comfortable saying when she's really uncomfortable with stuff, yeah. who has a record company who seemed to be mostly letting her do her own thing, and a family who were very supportive. It's very nice, but I couldn't shake the feeling that when this generation has its kind of Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain style blowout, it's going to be pretty horrible because there are so few boundaries and checks on mm. what a celebrity can do.
1: Yeah. Now. I don't necessarily think that the blowout itself is going to be any worse. mm. But it is going to be the, the,
0: the most documented. It, it,
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, people who don't want to know about it are going to want uh, are going to know about it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: There'll be a, there'll be like um, teenagers going around crying in a way that I probably won't have seen since take that split up, and they needed to set up a helpline.
0: Yeah, what a wild week that was. I remember yeah. that.
1: Yeah. And actually it wasn't it wasn't Take That splitting up, was it? It was just Robbie leaving. That they set up the helpline for, I think.
0: Oh was it? Yeah. I thought there was I seem to remember there being one for them splitting up, but I might be misremembering. I, 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 I
1: think they did that just as a matter of course. But yeah. I think the original helpline was set up because Robbie was leaving Take That.
0: Right. <laughs> we there have a, a helpline set up when Robbie rejoined Take That.
1: Only for Take That. <laughs> And, and, and that's the thing, you know, that that's only, what, 30 years ago?
0: 25 mm, yeah. years
1: ago? Something like that? Yeah, something yeah. like that,
0: yeah. I mean, I was too old for take that when take that one
1: around, so that's how old I am.
0: You know, Welsh is too old for take that.
1: Who's that? Take, take that. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, that was 25 years ago, and you needed a phone to contact that helpline. Yeah. And you don't need that now.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I suppose part of the reason why someone like Billie Eilish is so confident operating in this kind of world is also the thing that's kind of risky about it, which is that we demand less of a barrier between mm. ourselves and our stars now. It's very hard to be a mysterious, enigmatic superstar. Yeah. Uh, but there's I that th- bit towards the end where she's just live-streaming herself with a pet tarantula walking down her shirt, and yeah. she just turns off and says, like, so 50,000
1: people watched that shit. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I know, and, and, and I think that's the thing. There's, there's a cynical part of me that mm. so I think it was Katy Perry. Yeah, yeah. Giving her advice, and, you know, if you want to talk... You know, There's a cynical part of me saying, is she saying that to Billie Eilish, um, global dominating superstar? Yes. Would she offer the same advice to someone 37 places further down the list at Coachella?
0: Yeah, yeah. Very much so, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, I want to be seen with Billie Eilish, but I don't necessarily want to be seen with Fred Bloggs, who's done a similar kind of music in a similar kind of way and had about a tenth of the success.
0: Yeah, and that is... Which is
1: still quite a success. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: And that is... Part of what sort of makes you think, oh, God, we've come on a long way in a short time is looking at this in cinematic terms and seeing people like Katy Perry and Justin Bieber in this film and remembering that ten years ago... The pop documentaries that were made were like Justin Bieber Never See Never Three D, or other big like, IMAX spectacle films. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is distributed on Apple TV because of the pandemic. It probably yeah. would have been out of cinemas were it not for that. But I believe it has had a
1: little limited cinema release in countries where cinemas are still a thing. <laughs>
0: yes,
1: rumour has it that yeah.
0: But even if the big 3D IMAX concert film was an option for Billie Eilish, it would still not feel like the right vehicle. No. It has to be something this low-key and intimate. It has to yeah. be something that sort of offers you the, the kind of backstage look,
1: I think. Yeah. and I don't know whether it's just uh, Billie Eilish, or whether it's indicative of the latest generation of of music stars. Mm. But never say never 3D, IMAX releases. That's kind of quite gimmicky. Yeah, yeah. And a marketing thing. And yeah. What I got from this was, yes, yeah, she's got Billie Eilish merch at the concerts, but you didn't, you didn't have those long, lingering shots of the merch stand. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That you normally get at a concert film.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. The key sort of visual motif of the concert scenes is how long Cutler spends showing fans singing along, which is a really powerful thing to see Well, sometimes. they have to because Billy forgets
1: the words. Well, yeah, they caught to. <laughs> or she breaks a leg, or she snaps a neck, or <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> spontaneously like spontaneously combusts on stage. <laughs> it's like Spider-Man,
0: turn off the dark. We guarantee you a free horrific injury with every ticket sold. Yeah,
1: uh, it's. Um... But no, I. I think. I think that's a nice thing. She's managed to be successful without there being a huge marketing machine.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously, the record company did their thing with billboards and stuff like that, but, I mean, that would have happened anyway. The billboards
0: are quite – they're an impressive thing to see as you're driving down Sunset Boulevard (laughs) or wherever, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Oh, you see, I want to now drive by Ebbing, Missouri and see – (laughs) (laughs) no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're bound to assault that advertising space by now it's had a lot of attention C-
1: can you imagine how much it probably costs now to advertise on billboards outside every missouri they're probably <laughs> prime marketing <laughs> um, yeah
0: last person to do it won an oscar yeah <laughs> that's success for you that's probably what they've got on now. They've probably got those sort of uh, advertising for advertising billboards where it says, uh, your business could be here and you could end up at the Academy Awards as a result.
1: <laughs> and uh, while we're on the subject of awards, that was, yeah. that was the other really nice sort of grounded moment was when the Grammy Award nominations and, and um announcements were were out. Yeah. And the mum was there with the phone with <laughs> Phineas on the other end. And she was actually more thrilled about the one he'd won. Yes. Than she was about the one the ones she'd won.
0: Because uh, her mum wakes her up with the Grammy nominations <laughs> and at first that just means you're seeing like this green back of her head. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just going, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. But the one for Phineas really does excite her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
1: that, that's really nice to see. I think
0: it's it's a remarkable thing to have this kind of unfiltered access to someone who is this big. And mm. I'm glad that it happened for someone whose music and bear this kind of analysis in a lot of ways, whose music is actually enriched by seeing people sat around with an acoustic guitar trying to work out the middle eight.
1: Yeah. And that that was the other thing that that was really interesting from the the point of view of seeing the the sort of uh, song gestation process. Yeah. Was the fact that they'd have a track and they'd be playing it and it sounded like a finished track. Yeah, and then she uh, i think bad guy was the the one um mm. uh, oh actually maybe we could just spin it round so that i'm the bad guy that what a moment <laughs> that <laughs> is to have captured yes and you think, yeah and you think for, for that hit to have been such a phenomenal success and that to have been the moment that made it the song it is yes it, it's like do you know what it reminded me of yeah. Do you remember the fast show? I do, yeah. You remember the guy who used to come in and just go into the filing cabinet and say, oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the interrogation suspect would just instantly crack.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing where your comparison of this to a fictional feature film is just making me laugh so much. Can you imagine a Billie Eilish bar you pick where you've just got, like some actress who hasn't even been born yet sat on a bed going what if we spin it and make it so i'm the bad guy you would rip up your cinema seats if that happened it would be the (laughs) cheesiest moment of inspiration in film history but there it is happening on screen in front of you and that's amazing because I think part of my mission with Pop Screen is to mock every single one of those terrible <laughs> biopic inspiration moments, and I, I'm maddened that suddenly there's one that's actually great.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, this isn't really a biopic, is it? It's it uh, isn't. It's a home movie.
0: It's it's a home movie made that, by someone
1: who was brought in from outside the home, obviously. It, yeah, there is that. Yes. <laughs> it's it but does you get that, like you say, get the feeling that they were like, I don't know, dossing down on the sofa.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like I say, it does have the feel of one of those early docu soaps, but yeah. about someone who is the biggest star of her generation, which is yeah. really weird.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yes, so uh, next week, uh, we're actually, f- we're recording this quite late, so I can confidently say what we're doing next wow. week for once. Yeah, most of the time, I have no more idea than you, listeners, but next week we are doing uh, It Couldn't Happen Here, the film uh, uh, made no, by the, the pet, pet Shop, shop boys. boys. Yes.
1: Uh, Gareth Hunt, I believe.
0: Yes, he's in it, and Barbara yes. Windsor. Yeah. Yeah. Many said it shouldn't have happened to you in the first place, but uh, to I, find I, out.
1: Well, you know, I was a teenager in in the eighties, mm. and you know, therefore had a liberal dose of pretension. And even I gave it couldn't happen here. A wide <laughs> birth.
0: <laughs> well, to find out what you and I think, uh, tune in next week. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this show or any of our other shows, please feel free to share them around, write us a review on your podcast provider of choice because that it, it is genuinely bizarre how much that helps. It's almost as if the whole infrastructure of online distribution is just really badly thought through and you can game it just by writing five stars, very funny and entertaining. Um, yeah, almost like that. Almost
1: like that. You read my review then.
0: <laughs> 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 but yes, until next week with It Couldn't Happen here, that's been your lot from Pop Screen. I've been Graham. I've been Mick. And we'll see you next week. Duh. <phone rings>